Genesis chapter 12. Um, we're coming to the end of our sermon series today. And as you know, we've been going through a, a, series, a series called um, Having a Biblical uh, Worldview. And so what we've been after is we've been after looking at Scripture and allow Scripture to give us a, a filter in a way to see the world so that that our discernment and the decisions that we make doesn't just come from our own knowledge or from our society, but it really comes from God's Word. And so that's what we've been after. And so we've gone through Genesis 1 through 11, and today we land in Genesis 12, and it's the last, um, last part of the sermon series. And, and really mainly, I want to just talk about hope. So I wanna, but before we get to 12, I want to just recap what we've talked about thus far, because as I sat down and kind of typed this up this past week, it helped me to kind of remember, okay, these are the things that we talked about. So really briefly, chapter 1, Genesis chapter, we talked about how the, 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 the whole Bible starts with a very important phrase. Right? It starts with, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. God existed before all things. All things are made through and by and for God. And what that means is our ultimate reality, what's truly real, begins with God. And so there are things like universal justice and goodness and peace and love because God brings definition to this world. And so everything starts with God. And out of His goodness, He creates the universe. And universe is bountiful and good because it reflects who God is, its creator. And then Genesis 2, we talked about how God created mankind in his image, the image of the triune God. And we talked about how because we are made in the, in the image of triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, what we are made for is a relationship. Like we can't live in isolation. We are created, we're meant to experience and find meaning through one another. We also talked about how because God's the creator, we've been made to create. And we talked about work that we've called, we've been given the capacity to create good things. And how that gets expressed out amongst other ways is through our work. And then we talked about Genesis 3, the painful chapter of Genesis 3 where Rather than living in obedience to God and enjoying all the good things that God had given to Adam and Eve, they fall into the temptation of Satan and disobey God's commands. And sin enters and curse falls and everything begins to fall apart. Adam and Eve begin to experience shame. They experience alienation. And we talked about how because of that, because we are descendants of Adam and Eve, there is a sense of shame in us. We carry shame with us all the time. And we also are alienated from God, alienated from one another, and alienated from the world. Now, right after Genesis 3, maybe surprisingly, uh, graciously, God intervenes. Um, God comes to Adam and Eve, and he clothes them, right? They were naked. They're, they're filled with shame. God, God gives them clothes. They, he covers them. And then he even gives them a promise, a future promise of redemption. And that's the pattern that we begin to see throughout Scripture. In the midst of 
humanity's brokenness and sin and pain, God intervenes. And we see that Genesis 3. We saw that in Genesis 6 where, where the Scripture talks of, describes the whole world being filled with humans' wickedness and evil and violence. But God doesn't stop there. God brings judgment, the flood, and yet He provides grace and salvation. He rescues, saves Noah and his family. And he also makes a promise with Noah that he will never destroy his creation in that way again. But it happens again. People, people disobey and mistrust God again and again. And we see last Sunday we talked about Tower of Babel where rather than scattering, dispersing, and making God's name known, people gathered together to make a city, make a great tower, to make a name for themselves. And again, God in His mercy comes down and scatters them. Rather than destruction, there is judgment, but there is also grace. And so this is the pattern that we see over and over and over again. And in some sense, I think we can say this is the story of the Bible. God intervening in the midst of Man's brokenness, sin, pain, and maybe even hopelessness, God intervenes. And so maybe out of, out of all the things that we could talk about, how we want to end our time, this sermon series on biblical worldview is if we have Christians, if you have a, a biblical worldview, what that means simply is we are people of hope. We are people of hope. That's our view on life. No matter what's happening around us, no matter what's happening around the world and, and the terrible news that even we're hearing even now, if we have a biblical worldview, it tells us that we are people of hope. Now, as I thought about this pattern of God intervening again and again to, to save people, to rescue people, I, I, I asked, why does God do this? Why doesn't God just Leave things alone. Let it, let it be. Let things play out and, and see what happens. That's not what God does. And so, we, so I asked, and maybe we just asked, why does God keep intervening in people's lives and in the brokenness of humanity? Why does God do that? And actually, I think the Bible tells us. And right in the middle of the Bible, we have a small book called Book of Jonah. And the Book of Jonah, God intervenes to rescue this wicked city of Nineveh. And, and Jonah, the prophet Jonah, is, he has that question, God, why are you so merciful? Why are you intervening? Why are you rescuing these people? That's his question. And at the end of the book of Jonah, God gives Jonah a plant. And he likes this plant because the plant gives him a sense of shade, you know, shade, and, and he, he can be covered under, uh, from the sun. But the, the, the plant withers away. And Jonah is mad. And then God comes. And this is how the book of Jonah ends. This is what God says. And I think this answers that question. The Lord said, Jonah, you have been concerned about this plant. Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. Should I not be concerned for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120 thousand people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals that's how the whole book ends why does god intervene why does god intervene in scripture why does god intervene in our lives it's simply because god cares this world is 
God's world. You, people are His people. God cares, and so He intervenes. And he, there's a sense where when God says, people cannot tell they're from left hand from the right hand, it's saying people are lost. People, some people might be blind. They, they are hopeless, and so God is moved, and God comes again and again and again. That's the message of the Bible, and because of that, we have hope. Now, all that is, it can sort of be, um, I think, thought about and studied in, in Abraham's story, actually. So if you have your Bibles open, I'm going to read a, few, uh, a portion from Genesis chapter 12. We'll actually start from Genesis chapter 11, verse 27, and then we'll go to chapter 12, verse 5. Genesis eleven twenty seven 27 says, Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah father Abram. So Abram is Abraham before, he, before God renames him. Nahor and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred of Ur, in the Ur of Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarah, his daughter-in-law, uh, his, and Sarah, his daughter-in-law, and his son, Abram's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said, Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to that land that I will show you, and I will make, you, make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. They set out to go to the land of Canaan. I will stop there. So the story of Abram gives us three reasons why we, we can have hope. So there's the call of God. And number two, there's the promises of God. And then number three, I'm going to call it the extra, extravagance of God. So God's abundant. Um, so number one, the call of God. When you read Abraham's story, um, it starts with the generation of Terah. If you read the rest of chapter 11, Terah is a descendant of Shem. And if you are with us, Shem is one of the three sons from Noah. Right? So Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jephthah. And uh, Shem, God blesses Shem. And so what's important to note there is it's the, the, the descendants of Shem are the chosen people in some sense. Like they, God blesses them and they know God. And so Terah is a descendant of Shem. But what we read here at the end of chapter 11 is uh, Abraham, the son of Terah, Mary, Sarai, but she's barren. And when we read Genesis, uh, Joshua chapter 24, what we read is Terah actually, rather than worshiping God, he turns to idols. So, so he stops following Yahweh. And so what we have at the end of Genesis chapter 11 is 
is sort of um, a stoppage of this, this family that knew God. They were supposed to worship God, follow God, and really to preserve the knowledge of Yahweh, God of the universe. Like they were the family that knew this about God. And by Abram comes around, by Terah and Abram, they no longer follow God. They no longer know Yahweh. They don't worship Him. So what we have at the end of chapter 11 is spiritual and also physical darkness. The genealogy of Shem had stopped. Like there's, there's the, the, the people, the family line who were supposed to preserve the knowledge of Yahweh no longer was doing this. And so it's out of this dark, dim situation, God calls Abram. Now, here's what I want, want us to notice. When God calls Abram, like in, our English Bible is divided into the sections, but the Hebrew Bible, the original text, it's just one long scroll, right? One long text. There's no, there's no gap between chapter 11 and chapter 12. So what that means is out of the blue, like God calls Abram. Like we're not told why God called Abram. Before chapter 12, Abram is just one of many random names from the genealogy of Shem. But God appears and calls Abram sort of out of the blue. It, it just happens. Abram just appears. And Abram begins to follow God. But this call from God changes everything. This call from God that comes, we could say, out of grace. Because we have no, no clue of why God called Abram. There was nothing that, that we know about Abram before this point. But God comes and he calls Abram. But this call of God to Abraham's life changes everything. Um, it changes his life. It changes his descendants. And it changes the whole narrative of the Bible. It starts with Abraham, this call from God. And so, so here's my first point. The, the, the reason why we have hope. If you have this call from God, and, and how we can talk about this call is just simply having a relationship with this God. Right? When God calls Abram, it's not that Abram's life uh, became good and pleasant all of a sudden. No, the, the very next section is about famine, and Abram has to take his family to Egypt. It, it's, it's not that Abram's life became easy or good or pleasant. No, but what we know is after this call, Abram is known by God. Things are happening around him. He's still struggling with a lot of different things. Um, he still sort of has a, a, if you read his story, his, his, his life story, he's still afraid of many things. But one thing that's constant and one thing that changes everything about Abram is his relationship with God. And that gives him hope. So friends, the question that we want to ask today is, do you have this call from God? Another way to put it is, do you have a relationship with God? Um, and if you do, then you have this call. You have a relationship. God's called you. Again, not out of because you've been a good person, because things, that, things maybe you've accomplished. No, out of sheer grace, God comes and He calls us. And um, one of our parents shared about John chapter 3. It's the, the, the New Testament talks about how that's being born again. We have this relation, new life with God, and that changes everything. And that gives us hope because it begins a relationship 
with a living God. So that's number one. We have uh, hope because the call of God, the call of God comes to us. Number two, uh, there's the promises of God. And so if you have your Bibles open there, look at verse 1 with me. Uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from my country and to your kindred and your father's house, the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is God's promise, right, promise. There are three things that God promises to Abraham. And I think this is important. One, God promises a people, right? He says, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. The second promise is he promises a place, right? He says, I'm going to give you a land, right? Go to, a, to the land that I'm going to show you. Number three, he promises a blessing. I'm going to bless you, Abraham. Uh, and and all, of, all the families on earth will be blessed through you, a blessing. So people, place, blessing. If you think, think about that carefully, these three things are themes that occurred from Genesis 1 to Genesis 11. In the very beginning, God told Adam and Eve, go and multiply, meaning be a great people, but they fail. So Abraham, God calls Abraham and says, I will make a great nation from you, a great place, right? God created a beautiful garden for Adam and Eve to dwell in. They had everything, but sin, they sin, and they're removed from the Garden of Eden. They fail. Well, God says, I am going to give you a land. I'm going to make you a place for you. And in Genesis 3, what happens? They sin, curse falls upon not only them, but on, on the creation. They fail. But God says, I will bless you. So in some sense, what's happening in Genesis 12 through this this one person named Abram is God's promising that he will, in some sense, reverse the curse. I'm going to create a land for you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you into a great nation. It's basically the original plan that God had for Adam and Eve. But they messed up. And so God comes and he says, I'm going to, in some sense, start over with Abram. I'm going to do this. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of like this. Uh, some of you know this story, but uh, there was a, a pretty significant snowstorm that came in 2016, if you were here, about 20 inches, right? And I still have pictures. Uh, my parents were living with me at that time. They went out early in the morning to shovel, but, what, but it, it was a daunting task, and we have a long driveway. And, and I, I mean, I was like, I was really scared that I could not, like, shovel all the snow and we'll be trapped. You know, so after that snowstorm, I decided to buy a snowblower. And uh, rather than buying a small one, because in my mind, I wanted to, um, no matter what happened, no matter, no matter what kind of snowstorm, like I, I, would, like, I could shovel it out, shovel my family out. And so I, I bought a pretty, um, I don't know, nice, big, uh, I could say massive uh, snowblower. And so after 2016, um, I was just waiting for a storm to come, but it never really came, you know. Uh, it would come maybe like an inch or two. And then um, maybe, maybe a few years after, 
um, the forecast said, hey, there's going to be a snowstorm. So I go out to my garage and get my machine ready, right? And so I get it out, and I'm, like, kind of excited, you know? And so I get it out, and I, I, I try to start the, the machine. It would not start. Um, I was so frustrated. And I tried everything. I tried, I changed the oil, put new gasoline in. I even, I think what of, I think I even changed the spark plug. I changed, I mean, I tried everything, but it would not start for me. I was so mad, so frustrated, and I regretted, like, ever buying this dumb machine. It's just sitting there. Um, later, eventually, I found out that um, if you leave old gasoline in machines like that, it creates smudge, which gets into the engine, and it just it messes it up. And so I had to actually call someone, and he came, and he basically took the engine apart, cleaned it, and put that together. Um, obviously, I had to pay him, and I was so mad, so upset. Oh, my gosh. I guess here's my point. Um, you know, when we think about the, the story of the Bible and just the story of this world, it starts with God. In the beginning, God, he speaks, and things came to be. Redemption story, and it's also because of God. God sees the mess that Adam and Eve and his descendants made many generations and he intervenes and he says in chapter 12 i'm gonna fix this but the amazing thing about god's plan is he uses people he uses random people like abram again we don't know anything about abram before chapter 12 he's just one of i don't know 100 names that appear in the book of genesis just random guy but god says abram i'm going to bless you I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to give you this land. You know what happens? God does it. Abram does become a great nation. God does give him a land. Abram does bless families of the earth through Abraham. That's what God does. And so here's, here's one significant message that we need to hold on to in Scripture. is that God is faithful to His promises. If God says it, it's done. The Bible writers, biblical writers, oftentimes fold future events to present reality. They bring it back. So if you kind of imagine a string or a fabric, like what's, we're here, this is our present moment. God speaks promises in the future. The biblical writers often talk about how this event, the future, even though it didn't happen yet, that it already took place. So an example is Genesis chapter 17. God, Abram talks to God and says, God, I still don't have a child. And then God says, you, uh, let me just, I'll read it here for us. He says, uh, no longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. It's past tense. It's in past tense. God says, I've done this already. But Abram doesn't have any kids at that time. But it's accomplished. What is the Bible trying to tell us? If God said something will happen, it's as good as it's done. It's, it's been accomplished already. And that's why Paul in the New Testament says, if you're called, you've been justified, and you've been glorified. It's done. And so the reason why we have hope, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, is because we have promises of God. And uh, I think actually Eric read a verse that I've, I've been thinking about. is in Christ, um, 
everything is amen and yes. Everything that, that the, the everything, every promises of God that's about Christ and our life in Him, it's been done. And so what that means practically is no matter what you're going through, what you're struggling with, like you have been glorified already. It's done. It's finished. And that's why we have hope. We, we, biblical hope is not wishful thinking. Biblical hope is a, uh, having a, a, a certainty about the future that shapes our life now. And because we know God's story from beginning, creation, redemption, and then we could say consummation when Jesus comes back, it's done already. And so that's why we are people of hope no matter what's happening. That's who we are. So we have hope because promises of God. Lastly, briefly, um, the extravagance of God. And so this is what I mean. So Abraham, if you know his story, um, God promises, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you. But nothing really happened for a long time. So we come to Genesis 15. Many years have passed. He's still without a child. And so he asks God. He becomes restless. And he says, God, you promised all of these things, and yet I'm still without a child. How is this going to be? And you question. And then this is what God does. And this is amazing. And this is why I said God's extravagant, right? God didn't have to do this, but this is what he does. He enters into a covenant with Abraham. Now, covenant, the best way for us to kind of think about covenant is making a covenant is maybe a marriage vow, right? So a man and a wife, they say, you know, I'll, I'll love you all, as long as we both live. And they make vows to one another. And then as they make vows, they exchange rings as a symbol of their unending love for one another. That's what it does, right? There's a symbol. Um, it's a commitment that's made based on love. And so that's what God does in Genesis 15. Uh, in those days, uh, how the covenants were made was two parties would come together, usually a, a vassal king and a, a king that has power, and they would make a covenant. And usually how they would do it is they would cut animals in halves, and they, made, they, they would put them in two rows. And they would walk between these cut animals to say, if I ever break my end of the commitment or, or this covenant, may I be cut in half like these animals. Right? That's how they made covenants. Uh, in Genesis 15, the amazing thing is, and I, I was going to read it, but because of time, I just, amazing thing is, Abram cuts animals. God says, hey, Abram will enter into this covenant. Animals are cut in half. Um, but Abram falls asleep. And only God walks between these two cut animals. And so when you read Genesis 15, you're wondering, what's, what's happening? Why is God walking, God walking between these cut animals and making a covenant basically within, within, with himself? Because Abram is sleeping. <laughs> He's just kind of there. He has a, I guess it's a vision. Or, and um, it's basically what, we, what we're seeing is God saying, I am going to be faithful to the promises that I made to you, Abram. It's not going to be dependent on you and your faithfulness. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you fail. It doesn't matter if you uh, become afraid. It doesn't matter. This is going to be up to me. I will be faithful to this covenant that I am making with you. And that's why we have hope. It's not, and that's the Christian life. It's the gospel. It's not up to us. 
creation, in the beginning, God. Redemption through a man named Abraham. We don't know nothing about him, but come, God comes in grace and makes a promise and covenant with him. And then we have Christ, and then we have consummation. Everything, the whole biblical uh, redemptive storyline is about God. We just get to participate in it. And so some of us are fearful, you're anxious, you're afraid because you feel like you haven't measured up. Oh, I feel bad because I'm not doing this. I'm, can I just say, it has nothing to do with you. Yes, we can respond to God's gracious invitation and it's intervening into our life and it's love for us. We can respond, yes. But the covenant itself, it starts with God, it's redeemed by God, and it ends with God. It's covenant of grace. Um, you know, we take communion each Sunday, and this is what, uh, you know, as we think about the cross, that's what we're supposed to remember, is that this invitation of grace, right? When you look at the, the, um, the gospel narrative, uh, God, in some sense, um, comes down again there, and he's cut. Uh, Isaiah 53 says that the Son of God was cut out of the land. So he's cut there on the cross. So we might ask, so why is, what is, what's the significance, what, what's happening? I think it's, it's what's happening in Genesis 15. God is saying, I'm going to be faithful to my covenant. I am going to make a people for myself. I'm going to eventually establish a new city, right, a new land um, where blessings will flow and um, where everything will be new. I'll make all things new. And that's God's story. And we get to participate in that through grace. That's our, like, our call. Like, He's inviting us to be part of that story. And so, um, and because of this, we are people of hope. We're people of hope. Starts with God, ends with God. God's at the middle on the cross, reminding us this is all grace. God's moving already. God's drawing people to himself already. And the invitation simply is, would you like to participate with what I am doing? And we want to say yes. We want to be blessed by God so that we can bless others, so that God can bless, use us to bless others. All right, uh, let's pray, uh, and then we'll um, respond uh, through song, prayer, and communion. So let's, I want to give us just a minute to uh, just think about your life and where you are. Um, you know, just whether you are in the midst of um, just challenges in life, and maybe it's the Genesis chapter 11 uh, scene, right? Things are getting darker and darker. Um, the people who are supposed to worship God, they turn to idols and their sense of darkness and hopelessness. And maybe some of us are there. Uh, I just want us to remind us that if you have been called by God to follow Him, you have hope. No matter what else might take place in your life, <laughs> no matter how I don't know, miserable your year has been, we are people of hope. God will, because He said so, eventually make all things new. He has reversed the curse that came in Genesis chapter 11. 
He's undoing what sin did. He's undoing that through the cross, through Christ. And we get to participate in that. So I'm going to give us a minute to just pray and respond. Uh, and we'll sing a song, we'll pray, and then we'll take communion.